This morning we'll continue in 1 Corinthians, we're all the way up to chapter 14, a message I titled, Edification. We are to edify one another, edify the church. 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 17. Remember last week, chapter 13 ended with, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these, what was it? Love. love. And we are to, to pursue love. So begins, pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. However, in the spirit he speaks mysteries. But he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So you see, he's not edifying the church because no one else understands. He is speaking maybe God's language, and he is built up, but he's not building up the church. But he who prophesies edifies the church. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with, a, with tongues, what shall you profit unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? So likewise you, unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me." Even so, you also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church, that you may seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the spirit, and I will also pray with the understanding. I will sing with the spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding." Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say, Amen? Or, give, or your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say. For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and magnify you for your love and for your mercy. We thank you, Father, for your Holy Spirit that speaks to us, and Father, we know that there are times when your Spirit will speak things that we may not understand. But Father, we know that you want us to have understanding and wisdom and knowledge, Father, that, that the church would be edified, that Father, that you want us to be edified and built up, that we may glorify you, that we might share, Father God, your wisdom and share your love with others. Father, I pray your Spirit would be uh, upon our hearts today. Father, give us uh, wisdom and just bless us with your peace and for your glory, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. There are many foreign languages, is there not? 
Does anyone take a while, besides David, does anyone want to take a wild guess how many different types of languages there are today in the world? A wild guess. 5,000. 10,000. 10,000. Landon. 6,000. You're probably the closest. 7,160 different languages in the world today. That's a lot of different languages, isn't there? You know, I think back the couple times that we've been in a, a foreign country, we went to Italy. You know, when you're in a country where a lot of those people do speak two languages, I am not one of those people that speaks more than one language. So you feel kind of out of place. You are, you know, you don't understand. You're a foreigner. That's what it means. You don't understand. And in Bulgaria, you know, it was a, uh, a very different and unique experience to get up and preach and have to have an interpreter speak so that they could understand what you were speaking. It, it, so I was a foreigner. I was speaking in tongues to those people. If It would not have been for that person that was interpreting for me, right? You know, tongues is a topic that many people would rather just not discuss. They naturally shy away from it. Why? Because of the unknown. You feel uneasy. You know, in Italy, we could be sitting here and someone be looking at us and talking and thinking, okay, they're talking about us, ain't they? You know, they're saying, no, I don't like these foreigners. We like their money, but I don't like these foreigners. You know, we didn't know that. But, so there is an uneasiness when you don't understand. When you don't know what's going on, right? And that's the way a lot of people look to tongues. It's, it's, there's an unknown. So it makes, naturally makes them feel uneasy. You know... There are some church bodies or some believers that believe if you don't speak in tongues, you don't have the Spirit. Well, friends, that's a wrong teaching. That is not true. What did Paul say in chapter 12 when we was talking about the gifts? Do all have the gift of healing? Of course not. Do all have the gift of prophecy? No. Do all have the gift of miracles? No. Do all have the gift of tongues? Paul said, no, obviously not. We all will have our different gifts. Some may have multiple. Some may have one. They're not all going to speak in tongues. So that is a false teaching to say that if you do not speak in tongues, you're not filled with the Spirit. Because you may have the gift of healing, but not tongues. God will give you the gift. But we are to earnestly desire the gift, but most importantly, desire the gift of love. In 1 Corinthians 12 he ended with, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And we learned of that more excellent way last week, didn't we? That more excellent way is love. That we would love our brothers and sisters, that we would love our neighbors, that we would love those that are the hardest to love. Love those that are hardest to love. They're the ones that need it the most, right? Amen. But Paul continues in chapter 14 to address proper order in lives that uh, are professing to be believers, and in worship, proper order of worship. When we gather together in worship, there should be an order to it. You know, tongues was and is obviously one of the gifts. Paul said in verses 18 and 19, I thank my God that I speak with tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, Paul says, now listen to this, I would rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue. Because no one would understand it. I'd rather speak to you five words today than a million words that you wouldn't understand. Because 
How would you understand? How would it build up the church or edify the church if you did not understand it? Verses 27 and 28. So I'm going to come feeding you the, the rest of the chapter bit by bit. He says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be two or at the most three and each in turn. And let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church and let him speak to himself and to God. So my friends, does that not institute there is an order to it? A very direct order, if they are going to speak in tongues, how it's to be done. Two or three at the most, and it needs to be an interpretation. So there is order in the church. Paul says if you pray in the Spirit, meaning if you pray in tongues, or if you sing in the Spirit, if you prophesy in the Spirit, how will the uninformed brother say, Amen? So if you get up here and if I'm singing in tongues and man, I say Amen, you're going to sit there and think, I can't say Amen to that. Because when we say Amen, what are we doing? We're speaking our agreement, right? We're agreeing with what you have said. Gary just said Amen, right? You agree with it. So if, you, if I get up here and speak a bunch of stuff, gibberish, and you don't understand it, you're not going to say Amen. Because you're not going to know what I spoke, right? Rosanna, I need you. I'm going to give us a visual, not a visual, an audible illustration. I've asked her to come and play something. Somebody please tell me what she played. What's that tune? Come on, name that tune. Alright, how about another? that amazing grace right amen we recognize it we recognize the tune we can say amen to that because we know what she played how will the man rise for battle if the horn plays a unfamiliar sound right we know that amazing grace verse 33 of chapter 14 says for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in the churches of the saints. Our God is not an order, uh, author of confusion. He wants us to come and to be edified, to be built up, to have understanding. What good would it do to come if that's all she played every week and we didn't have a clue what we were going to sing, right? We'd walk away like, wow, that was a wonderful praise and worship service, wasn't it? Not, no. Paul also says that tongues are a sign for unbelievers, not for the believers. That's the main context of the, of the passage. When believers come together for worship, the main purpose for coming together, yes, it is to worship, but it is that we will learn God's Word, that we would learn about how we can grow in our faith, that we will learn how we can Exalt Him. We will learn to grow in our relationship with Him. It's to come together and learn. If we're not coming together and learning, what is the point in coming together? We are to come and to grow. Paul's use of the word edify is a wonderful choice of words. Edify is an architectural word. It means to build up. Paul uses it to mean to enlighten, 
to benefit morally and spiritually. So rather we are gathering together for a Bible study on Wednesday nights or gathering in our homes to study the Bible or worship or whatever we're gathering together for in the name of the Lord, we are gathering together to grow morally and spiritually, to become enlightened in, in the things of God, right? That's what we should be coming together for. And how could one possibly be enlightened if they don't understand one thing it's spoken or played? That's why he said, especially desire that you might prophesy. The prophesy that Paul is speaking of here is to give instruction in matters of faith. It is being divinely instructed in speaking the purposes and the will of God. Again, to build up the church. Not to tear down. I'm going to go back on a, on a memory from many years ago. There was a gentleman that started attending a church that we was going to that in the service one day. I'm not sure, I won't remember if it was in the middle of the service, but he gave a word in tongues. And then he himself turned right around and interpreted it. And everything that he spoke was to tear down the church. It was to criticize and condemn. He did not speak a word to build up and lift up the church. The pastor handled it tremendously. He said, friends, that is not of God because it does not edify, it does not build up. And Paul's very clear that when we come together, we speak a prophecy to build up, or tongues, it needs to be to build up the church, not tear it down. So I commend that pastor the way he handled that. We need to be careful not to misinterpret the meaning and the usage of spiritual gifts. It could be easily to bundle prophecy and preaching and also into the same category. Now, there is a little bit of difference between prophecy and preaching, but there are times that they mend together, mesh together. Because, you know, a modern day preacher, the way they normally do is they'll prepare, they'll search, they'll research commentaries and the Word and concordances and dictionaries and encyclopedias and all these things to search out the context, the biblical principle to form a message. Prophecy can be a divine word given to someone to share and encourage and build up. And yes, though, preachers preaching also can and should be oftentimes a divine word from God that we share. But it all needs to line up with this to make sure that it builds and encourages the people in the church. We do have the benefit of having our Bibles and, and limited other resources. You think back to the early church though. They had the scrolls that they would read from, but they didn't have all the resources that we had. They had to rely on the Holy Spirit and what they learned from others. Luke 12, 11 and 12 says, now when they bring to you, bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how and what you should answer and what you should say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. Now I know that the context in this, these couple verses is a little bit different. But he tells them, I will give you in that very hour what you will say. Well, brothers and sisters, when we gather together, it's the same Holy Spirit. So the word of prophecy is through the same Holy Spirit. To prophesy is to receive a word 
or an understanding from God for individuals or for the church. The Greek word for prophecy is to foretell events, but also to speak under inspiration. So that's what prophecy is, to speak under inspiration from God. So a pastor can speak a word of prophecy. If you were to, if you were to study out the entire chapter of uh, 14, chapter 14, it would be very evident that the first century church and their order of worship and things probably looked a whole lot different than ours does today. When you think about even the thought that they would gather together and they would wait and they would listen as if someone had a word or a message or a tongue that would be interpreted. So as I envision this, I could just give myself a mental picture, sometimes it might be kind of quiet while they're sitting there waiting to see if someone's going to get a word from the Lord, right? Sitting there waiting and maybe praying. And, you know, if, if I got up here today and I, I just stood here and didn't say a word and we're just waiting, I, after about five minutes, someone's going to probably say, what's, this is weird, what's going on? Why isn't he saying something? Well, if he don't say something soon, I'm getting up, I'm getting out of here. But that's why I can envision their, the services back then were probably a lot different than ours. They didn't have all the resources that we have to prepare. That oftentimes they would gather together and wait to get a divine word from the Lord. Yes, they would have the reading of the scrolls. I mean, today, I mean, we have that order. I mean, we've got to start at precisely the right time. I'm not condemning that. But we do because we broadcast. But everything has a, an order, you know. We have a certain time in the service where we take up the offering. We light the candles. We have a certain time where we ring the bell most of the time. Certain time when we greet. You know, we have an order. So their services would look a whole lot different than ours. But then again, I said, God is a God of order. He wants us to have order. But maybe one of these days we're going to mix it all up just to keep you on your toes. Right? <laughs> Paul said, let two or three prophets speak. Then let the others judge. What were they to judge? So imagine that. You're in a service, someone gives a word. Again, we're real focused on these differences. All right, guys, let's judge this. What do you think? Was that of God or not? You, you wouldn't want to be that guy that, we, that it wasn't, right? You don't want to embarrass yourself. You would hope that uh, you definitely want to hear from God if you're going to speak a word in the church. Because they're going to judge what you said. Is it true or is it a lie? You know, if someone came to a pastor today in the church, most churches, and said, Pastor, I have a word from the Lord. I'd like to share it. Well, we don't want to interfere with our rigid schedule now. Um, I'll tell you what. Let me take it before the board and we'll vote on whether we... What is the word? All right, now let me take it to the board. We'll have to vote on whether or not we want to let, you, let the, the body hear it. A whole lot different back then. I mean, right in the service. Give the word, the others would judge. That's the way they operated. So, a whole lot different culture, was it not? But whether it's the early church or today's church, with our order, some have more order than others, but with our church today, it all needs to be for the edification, the exhortation, and the comfort of others. To build up and not tear down. Romans 12, 2-4 says, We should help others do what is right, 
and build them up in the Lord. We should help others do what is right and build them up in the Lord. For even Christ didn't live to please Himself, as the Scriptures say. The insults of those who insult you, O God, have fallen on me. The word understand or understanding was used five times in that short passage that I read from chapter 14. It reveals the true context of our passage. Paul wants to ensure that the people were receiving understanding, receiving the understanding that they need to live a godly life, to have an opportunity to know God in a personal way, to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and their friend. When one is leading a congregation or comes before others, they should not speak above the level of the people they're speaking to either. Because, you know, get up here and use a bunch of uh, great big words that would be above your head. Well, I mean, I ain't going to be able to do that. Cause, but what good would that do you? But there are those congregations that need those big words. But we need to make sure we're speaking whether it's a, whatever the language or even the, the words that we use, that it's going to build up, that it's going to edify, that it's going to help others learn and grow closer to God. One thing that is so amazing about God, that He has made His plan of salvation clear enough that even the youngest child can understand the basic principles of the message. Amen. Isn't that wonderful? That the, a, a young child, a child, some of them at the age of five or six, can have an understanding, a clear understanding that God loves them, that God sent His Son to die for them, and all they have to do is believe on Him, repent of their sins and believe on Him, and they can have eternal life. That they can have the hope of eternity with Him. That's how simple we made it. Yes, there is deep things we need to search out and study to, to grow closer and things to know how to live, but the basic principles of it, that I am a sinner, that I need saved, a child can understand. It's very clear. It's not confusing, confusing, but we can all understand that. Amen? Ephesians 1. I'm not sure if I... I don't think I gave... I did give that to him. 1, 15 through 21. It says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Friends, we need to pray that God will give us the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge to understand Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the exceeding greatness of His power toward us who believe, according to the working of His mighty power, which He worked in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in that which is to come. Isn't it amazing? By His mighty power and by His mighty work, 
He has redeemed us. All who believe, all who will accept by faith His amazing gift. It is by grace that we are saved, not of works, lest anyone should boast. We can know that. We can know that. We can have that assurance, and we need to build others up and help others to understand. We don't want to confuse them. We want to make it clear that they too can know Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen.